This is awesome here on the Behind the You podcast. Uh, finally glad we got to catch up with the OC of the Miami Hurricanes, Shannon Dawson. Shannon, pleasure. We were just we were about to do the whole podcast off the air, so I hit the record button and let's start talking. I I, I thought you'd already hit the record button. No, so. no. So we, <laughs> that'll be like you know like the um, the cuts that hit the floor. You know, like the, the all access stuff. That's like uh, the uncensored stuff. But as we transition to what the, the actual on air stuff here, we were just starting talking about the how mummy air raid, the origination of the offense. We were talking about relationships and doors opening and all that kind of stuff. So let's just get into how mummy, because we were talking about him and we were just talking about when he got hired from uh, Valdosta state to Kentucky and the jump and how bold the AD was, but how about more so your connection to Hal, what attracted you to him and just how innovative he was considering in this day and age, it's like, well, everyone sort of does some version of that, but we're talking football from 30 years ago and what he was doing with the game of football. Yeah, I mean, those guys really are the are the ones that revolutionized throwing the football in college because everybody's if you if you trace back everybody's background far enough, there's some type of option that exists, right? I mean, when I played high school football, we ran the option. Uh Coach Mummy was a split back beer guy before he took a right turn and, and went to air raid uh, because BYU was spreading everybody out and neutralizing the playing field and all the rest. And then him and, you know, Coach Leach got together at Iowa Wesleyan. And really where I got extremely lucky uh, was with Coach Hogerson. You know, I mean, if it wasn't, I mean, me and you were, were sitting here talking about, you know, things that have happened in your life and my life that we had no control over networking wise that, that's helped us get to where we're at, you know, there's 0% chance that I'm sitting here talking to you right now with this job. If I don't play for coach Hogerson and he doesn't do things throughout my life and my career that I'm extremely grateful for, but he was a player. He was a receiver at Iowa Wesleyan. And so he played for them there. He GA'd for him at Valdosta state. And then he branched off and went lower level. Mississippi College is where I started playing for him. And then he went to Wingate University in North Carolina, and I transferred to Wingate with him. And then he left and then obviously met back up with Coach Leach at Texas Tech. I finished my career at Wingate. And when I finished, he got me on at Southeast Louisiana with Coach Mummy, which Coach Mummy at the time, throughout my career, you know, he, he was a head coach at Kentucky. Uh, things went south. He took a year off and then resurrected the Southeast Louisiana program, which is basically where I'm from. My dad played there and, and we're all from there. That was my injection into the whole air raid um, people. And then, then I worked for him for four or five years and I branched off and took a D3 OC job and was successful. And so um, one AA school offered me a job and was successful. And then at that time, is where Coach Hogerson took the West Virginia job and then hired me as his OC there. And so that was how I got involved in the in the uh, fraternity. <laughs> but everybody's got a guy, man. I mean, and that's the truth. I mean, no nobody gets anywhere by themselves. And and this profession is thievery. You know, I mean, you can you can look back to when Coach Mummy was watching BYU. I mean, he didn't come up with the air raid offense. He was smart enough to see that, oh, okay, these guys didn't have the uh, the players to compete with these other teams, but when they spread it out and they used all the grass and they made you defend the whole field, 
then playing defense is harder than when you get in a grenade formation and and just typically the the best team wins type deal. And so ultimately it had a lot to do with luck, had a lot to do with location because of where I grew up in Louisiana and where Coach Hogerson was working was about an hour and 15 minutes away. And I say he recruited me, but nobody else recruited me. So it's really not it's not recruiting when you only have one option, you know. So uh, I went to the one place that wanted me was Mississippi College at the time. And just so happened that, that Dana was there. We developed a bond over time that just, you know, similar minds. Um, and I don't know why we developed that bond. You have to ask him, really. But we did. And so, and I've known him for 24, 25 years now. And so it's been, you know, like I told you, everybody's got their guy, you know, and so he's my guy and he's he's done the world for me and Leach was his guy. And, you know, I mean, like if you trace it back, you know, Lincoln Riley, Leach was Lincoln's guy, you know, everybody's got their, everybody's got their guy that's kind of helped them get somewhere. So people that, that don't take the time to appreciate and verbalize appreciation of those guys I always have an issue with. So I make sure that I do that as much as I can. You mentioned Lincoln. Is your call sheet a napkin? What are we, what are we, what's our call sheet? How big is the call sheet, Shannon? It's not very big. It's a little bit bigger than Lincoln's, I mean, but um, my eyesight's kind of, you know, what's crazy is I used to laugh at these coaches with glasses, and I, I'd pick on Dana because his eyesight was getting bad, but my call sheet's growing a little bit based on my eyes aren't – I can't see that small font anymore. Hey, it caught there up with me too, dude. I can't see for nothing anymore. Yeah, I haven't stepped across the uh, threshold of doing what you're doing right now, but um, but I'm I'm close. I'm close. I'm close. Well, you can also increase the font, so you can do that too. That's what I do. I increase the font, which increases the size of the paper <laughs> a little bit. But uh, yeah. but it's that worked not... in college when I was trying to turn in a paper. But uh... <laughs> yeah, right. But we don't. You know, the deal about what you the question, which is a good question because I do think that part of the things you learn from people is that, you know, you don't have to bring in 300 plays into a game. You know, Leach was the first guy to really, you know, him and coach mummy. I mean, they went into a game with, with a handful of plays and in their mind, they were going to execute those plays and, and make sure that they could execute them, you know? And so now, I mean, as the run game gets injected into our offense more and more through the years, obviously plays increase. And then there's going to be a few more plays on the call sheet than probably it was 15 years ago when I was at Stephen F. Austin, but it's not too many more. How many plays would have been on that call sheet at Stephen F. Austin? Probably 50 or 55, probably. Total plays. When you think of great football and baseball, you think about the you. When you get hurt in a car, truck, or motorcycle wreck, you need to think Lebovic Law Group. At Lebovic Law Group, you come first. We work to get you all the money you are entitled to. Injured? You need to call or click Lebovic. Lebovic Law Group, the exclusive sponsor of the Miami Hurricanes and proud sponsor of all things you. Go you! That opens a door into sort of just philosophy of coaching. And this is something I wanted to dig into, Coach, which is if we kind of categorize that as simple, so to speak, relative to what we ask our players, what, you know, and how they want to play, how you want them to play, 
it, to me, it almost is logical, right? That the limited time you have with these athletes, what the NCAA mandates, that if you can master what you do and know it inside and out, the simplicity allows them to be confident to play fast. And I was wondering when you sort of finally figured that out and how that has sort of maybe managed your decision-making as you've been an OC. Well, it was easy for me to figure out because of the my, all my mentors did it that way, you know, and, and so you can kind of, I mean, Leach is a, obviously the stories about him go across the country and in, in depth, but, you know, talk, people talked about him getting to work whenever he got to work, you know, a little bit later than most people. But if you look at why they did that, you know, if you just take the sheer amount of time that we spend in our office based on the amount of time we spend with our kids, right? I'm not talking about our family. I'm talking about the players. So what you really have to fight against as a coach is because we're up here all day, we're watching a lot of film, we're all together for all this time, you have to fight the urge to come up with all this stuff that kids can't execute. And, and that's why they geared their time in the office and they paralleled it to the time that they spent with their players. Not exactly, but they didn't want to, what they called it all the time, chasing ghosts. They didn't want to be in the office chasing ghosts and coming up with all this stuff that the kids, you know, couldn't, couldn't execute. So ultimately they have to be the ones to go out and execute it on game day. And the only way they can execute on game day is if you put a certain amount of reps into a play or a concept. And so it was all based on, you know, I can remember those guys talking about at clinics and stuff, just spaced repetition. You know, if you, if you think about how you've learned to do something from the beginning of time, right. Since you were an infant till now. Right. So you've been tying your shoes for how old are you? Probably my age, right? 50, <laughs> 50. Well, I'll be 46 this year. So, uh, you weren't as good at tying your shoes at the beginning, I would assume, than you were like a year after starting. I was not. I was not a child prodigy. I can promise no. you that. And and I know that's a simple way of saying it, but ultimately, if you take a small amount of things and you can do it a hundred times, you're better at that than a hundred things you're doing ten times. So ultimately, it does come down to space repetition because, you know, when you look at just a simple concept on the football field. There's so many different ways a defense plays, man, all different kind of zones, zone blitz. Well, that one route that that kid runs, it's going to change a little bit, and he's going to make it his own. If you rep it a lot over and over and over again, then he'll be able to, to fit in every one of those defenses, you know. Now, if you rep it two times, then the chances of it being executed versus whatever they can throw at you is very minimal, so – that was ingrained in my mind from the beginning. It's like, don't overcoach and don't do too much was beat into my skull. And so ultimately, let players play and then don't do too much where you fog their mind. It's funny you bring that up. I talked to, when you were at Southern Miss, the DC that was there, Tony. Tony, and yeah, it, Tony Peck. Yeah, Tony Peck. We were just going back and forth. Because I really, I'm just not, well, look, I do this podcast, so I'm naturally curious by nature. It's kind of repetitive there. And, 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 um, and as we started talking, I said, it sounds like what you just said just now, uh, I had done some basketball work for University of Miami, too, and they were at North Carolina. They used to run the North Carolina offense, and they basically mm -hmm. said, we're going to – we run what we run. We don't really care what you run. We're going to know what we run, and we know it so well that we have every answer to whatever you do based on what we do. 
I said, is that sort of a similar mindset to you or this this tree? And he said, yes. And you just said it right that inside of those reps, as you rep it more and more and more, and I'm sure year over year too, right? Like there's not only uh, an intuition between you and the quarterback, but now the quarterback and the receiver, right? Like they just sort of, yeah. they know it. Yeah, I mean, they just, you know, they go, they figure it out really is, I mean, they sit there and they rep it so many times where, you know, whatever you do to them, they can just execute it better. Now, ultimately, you know, that doesn't always mean that you're going to be unbelievable. It gives you a chance to be good, right? I mean, ultimately, players have to play and you can't take out the factor of game planning and the factor of changing up what you do week to week a little bit. Now, I call it window dressing in the sense of like, you know, if you look at our offense, I mean, we have our base plays. And we're going to run those plays, but we're not going to run them the same exact way every week or every every play. But, you know, our job as an offensive staff is to create some form of simplicity on our side and our players' mind. But when it's viewed by the outside world, when it's viewed by defenses, they see it as very complex. They see it as guys going everywhere. They might see one concept. And because it's ran a couple different ways, they might view that as three or four different plays. But ultimately, it's just one play, and we're just window dressing it a couple different ways. And so ultimately, that's the goal is to to window dress around and, and keep the big guys, you know, don't change too much for them. You know, those five guys up front are the most important guys. And I try to keep those guys as consistent as I can keep it. The other six guys around them need to be able to do what me and you were doing at the beginning of this podcast is adjust a little bit, you know. <laughs> Change the trajectory of your career or find your new passion. Both are possible at the University of Miami's Division of Continuing and International Education. The division offers over 50 courses with online and hybrid options for on-the-go professionals and busy parents. Visit miami.edu slash DCIE to learn more or call our enrollment advisors at 305-284-4000 to discover which course is right for you. Speaking of which, you skin this cat so many different ways, the game of football, right? And systems playbooks we were talking how many play calls do you bring in what do you rep etc and there's a part of me from just being around this so long that feels that you can do whatever you want with all you can run 50 plays or 100 plays but once you get to the game who can kind of figure out what the other team's doing quickly enough and then decode that inside of your play sheet whatever it is and then there's also probably something that's just feel right like you just have a feel for i think this play is going to work at this time and just sort of getting it right yeah, I think the the misconception of adjustments during the game are that we create these like we draw these whole different plays up. And that's no, just I can not I can uh, I can actually uh, I've been on the sidelines. I can, there's no one drawing. There's no uh, finger in the dirt. I pro I've never no. seen it. And so now what you do is you narrow down what's good. You know, even from the amount of plays that you have, you're what you're trying to do throughout the course of the game. You're trying to really laser focus on the ones that are good and so that happens you know during the course of the two halves but it also happens a lot at halftime you know I thought that was one thing that we did really good at Houston I had some really good guys around me and 
if you look at our third quarter first drive, we almost scored on the first one every game. And one of the reasons for that is we'd get in there and I would be, I'd be like, hey, I need two run plays, you know, like what are our top two run plays? And then we would kind of cut the fat off the game plan at halftime and say, okay, these are the things we're doing. Let's go sell it to our kids and let's go out there and execute it. And typically, you know, that works better than, than sitting in there and trying to come up with something that's completely out of what you've been doing. You know, now, is there a certain time where, you know, you come up, you're like, hey, we need to, you know, in this particular set, we need a shot play that we don't have. Well, at halftime, you go get that coached up and you can try to install a play, a fringe play, either on the goal line or, or a shot deal. Yeah, that happens on occasion, but more times than not, it's the trimming of the fat and the focusing on the stuff that you're doing good because inevitably what happens in coaching is during the week, you spend so much time and a lot of the stuff that you think that are, are going to be, Hey, we're really going to get them when we do this, this <laughs> sprinkle. that isn't the stuff that works. And the stuff that works is the stuff you've been doing since day one. That's just typically how it works. And I would, I would imagine, right. Like the opposing team's trying to do the same thing, the window yeah. dress you. Right. And so, as you were saying this, I would I would think, and I'm not just saying this because you're here, that if you're repping less more, the ability to communicate to your kids and tell them what you're going to do, how we're going to do it, and their confidence in using that yeah. probably helps because it's it's coming from a more expert place. They know exactly what's coming or what we're what you're going to ask them yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, you're you're always going to fall back to what you know the most, you know, and what you've repped the most, and so. You know, I mean, I think that that's just a normal course of action. You're you're more comfortable in things that you've repped more. Now, ultimately, you know, I mean, heck, nobody's won every game they've played in, so it doesn't always work out. But ultimately, if you look at the times it did, you can trace back and say, okay, what adjustments did we do in this game that were really good? More so than not, it was the getting back to, hey, what are we good at? You know, right. Let's do, and defenses are the same way. I mean, defenses typically through the course of a game, that's why you game plan because you're trying to figure out the true identity of that defense. Like what do they really want to do? You know, and ultimately when things get tight and games start going second and third and fourth drive, they're going to go back to who they are. <laughs> it gets a little tighter. Yeah. It gets a little tighter. <laughs> so you're going to, so you're going to call things as a DC and as an OC that you feel extremely comfortable with, you know, and ultimately this is a, you know, this is a quarterback driven game. And so on offense, you know, those guys programming means more than anything. And so doing things that they feel comfortable with, uh, that they've done a lot that they know, like, Hey, you know, these concepts, if they blitz the ball goes here, if they don't, then it's one, two, three ball out, you know, and then line up and make routine play after routine play after routine play of things that you've done a lot are ultimately what drives the football. Sometimes we lose sight of that as coaches. I also imagine your relationship with your quarterback, right? The communication during a game, right? If In this case, it'll be Tyler, right? If he's telling you stuff and you trust him, whatever, and what he can process allows you to probably tinker to a greater degree. Oh, I mean, you have to trust that guy. And I mean, if that guy, if he comes to me and, you know, and, and 
he sees something, then we're going to do it. You know, I mean, that's just, you know, I, I trust him out there too. You know, I mean, it's my job. You know, my coaching job really comes during the week, you know, trying to prepare him to what he's going to see and what we're going to do and kind of meshing the two together. On game day, I mean, let's be honest, it's all about him. You know, I mean, my job's typically over then. I'm going to obviously call the game, but it's already kind of mapped out. And what what he sees, I'm going to listen to a lot, you know. And so, and then the more that we're around each other, and I do think that there is a, you know, the underlying, you know, mindset of what those guys like Coach Leach and Coach Mummy and Coach Hogerson have done is really a teamwork atmosphere when it comes to those two people. You know, the quarterback and the play caller, really, a, it's a tandem. And so those two guys have to be on the ultimate same page because all the other information is filtered down from the quarterback to the other 10 guys. And so those two guys have to be, you know, in a, in a direct alliance with each other. And, and that happens over time. Uh, but also, you know, going back to what you said before and what we just talked about, if what you do isn't overly complicated, then it's a little bit easier to find the answers than if you're doing so much stuff where it's kind of just, you're just picking and choosing and you're hoping something works out right, you know? Make this the day your life changes. The all-new UFIT Gyms has been created to give you exactly what you need to accelerate your fitness results, including state-of-the-art equipment and a new cross-functional turf training area. Enjoy personal training as low as $35 and new small group training classes, including HIT Plus. Take it to the next level with personalized nutrition from Eat Love, along with anywhere, anytime access to UFIT on demand with over 1,000 workouts. Reach your goals faster at the new UFIT Gyms. What kind of freedom does your quarterback get? Because I would imagine, look, in this, in every business, right, you have micromanagers who are control freaks and you have people that, I want to say they're not, but that doesn't, not a negative, but like they trust the people. Well, it really probably comes down to that word, right? That inside of your system, you're building trust with your quarterback and your players that if they see it on the field, they are allowed to make a call, check, whatever, so that they can get into the best version of what you yeah. guys have repped. Within every play call, he has a lot of freedom. Now, that freedom exists on a, you know, I wouldn't, to say he has all the freedom, he can't call whatever play he wants. <laughs> no, inside you know, inside of the framework of what you've taught him. It's not like, right. hey, let's run, yeah. uh, let's run inside zone, and he gets up there and goes for vertical. <laughs> yeah, right. So what I'd like, I'll throw some scenarios out there to you just to kind of, you know, gear you towards what I'm thinking about. So if I'm calling whatever play if um if there's a if there's certain things that a certain defense does that is going to give us a shot like and we know it right um if he sees that he can go to it regardless if i have a run play call or whatever because ultimately you know defenses are going to change you know they're not going to do the same thing over and over they're going to they're going to have their handful of things they do but they're going to mix it up right and so what you really want to do is you want to create an atmosphere that the quarterback has the freedom to take advantage of things that you really want to take advantage of in real time. Because this is what happens. I mean, if we see something, if we're in a certain set and they line up in a way that, hey, we want to take advantage of them with this specific play this week. And then if I don't give him the freedom to go to that play, 
Then when he comes off to the sideline, I'm like, hey, did you see that deal? That's when we want to take advantage of it. Well, they might not run that defense again versus that set the whole game. And so ultimately, shot. that was your chance, you know. And so if you want to take advantage of things in absolute real time, then you better give him the freedom and you better have him programmed in a way where he knows a specific look and he can go to it. Now, that's one scenario. On the other hand, like running the ball versus certain defenses that are like playing soft, right? If I'm sitting there and we're throwing the ball, throwing the ball, throwing the ball, and they're, you know, playing a weak box, then his job is to check run. You know, so he has to take advantage of numbers when it comes to, hey, they're giving us the run. I know I have this play called, but they lined up and it's really soft and he needs to check run. And so he has to be able to see what the defense is doing and take advantage of numbers in that way too. And so he's always high alert of, hey, they're playing a weak box. I need to check run right here, right? Or, or they're playing really heavy and I need to throw it. Right. And so, you know, he does have the freedom, but, you know, it's not like he's, you know, got the whole – because if he had the whole playbook at hand out there, we might have a delay of game every time, you know? <laughs> Yeah, not absolute freedom, just uh, within what he's been taught by his teacher. Right, and and there's there's certain plays that are grouped together, like some quick game concepts where if it's single high, two high, or man, you know, there might there's there's one play call specifically that really is like, hey, it's a play call, but it's really a check, you know, and if it's if it's one of those three, you can go to either one of those three concepts based on what they're playing. So basically, I'm calling a play, but he knows that it's really a, a, I want one of these three plays. And so whatever leverage they got, he can switch it. So stuff like that happens a pretty good bit. So then your relationship's vital, uh, and which is kind of going without saying. But, you know, to have a quarterback like Tyler with his kind of work ethic, his capacity, the amount of trust you guys build in each other means everything. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I can trace back. So this is. I'm trying to think like 11, 20, this will be my 23rd year coaching. And I kind of skipped the position coaching deal. I went from, I was a volunteer coach with Coach Mummy. I GA'd for him and I took a D3 OC job. So I went from D3 OC to 1AA to, so I've been at every level, but I- You were a tight ends coach one year, according to your I, resume. Yeah, I was. I coached the tight ends one year, which was good. I learned a lot that year. You know, I learned a ton that year. You were also the inside receivers coach at West Virginia one year. I went up there as the inside receivers coach. I didn't become the offensive coordinator there till the next year. And so typically I did the same thing in both of those stops. The first time I went to West Virginia, I was a position coach. I coached the inside receivers, uh, which we had some pretty good ones. Tavon Austin was really good. And then, um, and then I became the coordinator pretty quickly. And then same thing at Houston. When I went to Houston, really um, the only job they had there was a tight ends job. So I took it and I became the coordinator the next year. And so that was kind of agreed to at the beginning, you know. Right. And um, we, just, we, 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 we just want we just want to get reunited. I did, Yeah, absolutely. Yes. When you coach for a while, you figure out that a lot of your success or failure is dictated on who the head coach is. And your relationship with the head coach is extremely important because 
especially in the the offense that I grew up in, you know, there has to be an element of attack all the time. And if you're a conservative guy by nature, you're probably going to have an issue with me. Right. And so, you know, there's been a couple times in my career where where that has happened. And in every one of those situations, I've gotten out of it pretty quick. And and and, and sometimes you you, you got to go down to go up, you know. Right. So like one of those things like, hey, are we like in my world, are we going to do like we this? Yes or no? We doing you, we doing business or not? No. All right, let's get out of here. So it's like, or yes, we are. Hey, look, I like to attack. Is that good? No. All right, then I gotta go. I gotta go somewhere else. <laughs> let's not yeah, beat around I mean, the bush. It's not gonna work. And and sometimes it's just not gonna. Sometimes it's not a good fit. And it's been that way, you know, a couple times in my career. Not many, but it's sometimes, you know, you get to a place and it's just not a good fit. And and then you know, if it's not a good fit, then it is what it is. And so. You, but you when it is a buck coach, when it is a good fit, it's great. It is. And I think I've, you know, and as a young coach too, sometimes you can look back on those times where it wasn't successful. And a lot of times, you know, there was things that I learned in the process too, that, that I could have done differently, that I could have handled some situations differently and, and stuff like that too. But ultimately, you know, when I did like, cause I had two stints with, with coach Hogerson, West Virginia and Houston. And both of them were, um, you know, when I first went to West Virginia, you know, that was my first time being a power five coach, you know? So that was my first injection to the, to the top of the deal, which was um, an awesome opportunity, you know, given to me by him. And then when he made me his coordinator, that was even a better opportunity. Right. I probably left a little bit premature from West Virginia and um, a little bit naive, probably I would say, but everything looked, everything typically works out the right way, you know, in the end, you know, it just does. If you don't quit, like my dad said, you know, the one way to seal your fate is to quit. Yeah. So keep going, keep going. Every situation isn't going to be perfect. And I understand that, but, um, but opportunities are, you know, there's no different than this opportunity. I mean, I was extremely happy in Houston because I, I love Dana. I appreciate him more than anybody. And, I was just sitting there with my wife a couple of weeks before this deal came up, talking to her about, you know, life's good here. Our two daughters love it here. They soccer's great. The the network of people we have outside of football is unbelievable. Um, and then, you know, this deal comes up and we talk and my wife's like, well, there's like a handful of jobs out there that you can't like not, you know, pursue. And she was like, and obviously this is one of them. I was like, yeah, so this is one of them. You know, this is this opportunity doesn't come every day, obviously. So this is this is uh I'm trying not to set you up here because you said something earlier. Actually, really it was about the uh, introduction of this offense, right? And how BYU was running it to kind of almost run something, kind of moneyball the talent, right? Like with the scheme. Yeah. So <laughs> have you allowed yourself to think of what? this scheme would look like with the talent that is uh, available to you here, coach? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you go, look, you do, and me and Coach Cristobal talked about it a little bit when we had these seven-on-seven camps here, right? And the one thing that's extremely evident here in this location is you get 24 or 25 teams here doing seven-on-seven. There's one thing that is not lacking, and it's people that can run and catch, you know? <laughs> and so, I mean, it's just like unbelievable. And so uh, ultimately our job is to mesh the, 
because what what's happened over time is this, and this I would I would be remiss without like mentioning this because you know when we when we went to West Virginia, it's really when we started you know putting more emphasis on the run game because West Virginia had tight ends and they had a really physical brand of football before we got there. Ultimately, as you see the the how many every years that we were there the emphasis on running the football added a little bit every year. And so ultimately that has carried over towards, you know, what we did at Houston and what we're going to do here. Now, the blueprint of the throwing of the football hasn't changed. The only thing that's evolved over time is really getting a little bit better at running the football, you know, and getting better and better over time at running the football. And what I found out, if you run the football effectively, then throwing the football becomes way easier. Tyler's and best so, friend. Tyler's best yeah, friend. Tyler's best friend. And because one, the one thing that's really hard to do in today's world that wasn't really the case 15 years ago is pass protection. D linemen have gotten more athletic. Schemes have changed to where it's more, you know, years ago, uh, it was more so of, hey, we're going to be gap sound in the run and we'll rush the quarterback if they don't run it. Now it's more so, hey, we're ru we're rushing the quarterback, and we're going to tackle the running back on the way. You can thank your partner in crime over there for getting you some good looks. I mean, no doubt, no doubt. And so, and ultimately, to keep defenses off balance, uh, you have to in today's world. I mean, it's just, you know, there's too many variations of coverages. There's too many drop eight principles. There's so much different upfront stuff you see. You know, you have to be really sound in the run game in today's world than we were years ago when people were just lining up and four down and they really weren't rushing the quarterback and they really didn't know how to defend the pass. And so if you don't evolve with it, you're going to be stuck on an island, you know. And so and and if you look at over time, that was the evolution of our offense is just how can we get better at running the football? Throwing the football has always been something we've done that's, I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's kind of been in our DNA. You know, what we spend most of our time on is, hey, how do we run the football better? And I think that's one thing that's really appealing about this job to me is if you look at what they did at Oregon the last few years, they were there. They ran the football as good as anybody. If we can mesh those two, um, we can be pretty good. Join us at Gulfstream Park this spring with live action Thursday through Sunday. Enjoy entertainment outdoors at the Carousel Club or feast in 10 Palms. Not hungry? Visit our many on-site shopping locations from fashion stores to home furnishings. For schedules, reservations, and tickets, visit GulfstreamPark.com. Last two things, Coach. Um, I actually want to take it back to the uh, unedited part when we were talking about how Mummy and maybe the credit he has not received or the credit he is due for sort of revolutionizing uh, or in, in tandem, I guess, with, with Coach Leach and BYU and all that kind of stuff. But just maybe take me back to, to, to him and his mindset, how he looked, you know, just when you were young and coming up and how you looked at him in terms of how he was attacking this and why it made sense to you. I like his, I mean, his personality was intriguing to me because he wasn't like all the other coaches. You know, he wasn't a robot. He was a personality. I mean, he was a rebel, you know, and he didn't care – really what you thought about him, you know, he, he took some oddball of, jobs, man. He did. And he, not only did he take some oddball jobs, 
he loves those lower level, like intriguing jobs. He just does, you know, he's, uh, he's just one of those guys. And I mean, and all those guys really, I mean, that was the one thing that gravitated me to those guys was, you know, all of them's personality outside of football was intriguing to me, which that matters to me is like, you know, it isn't always all about football. You know I mean? It's, there's other things in life that, that matter too. And so, and, and, and Dana's kind of the same way with that. I mean, if you sit down and talk with him for two or three hours, you'll get a whole array of things, you know? And so I appreciated that because ultimately football wasn't my initial plan, kind of like you. What was it? When I first went to college, I broke my leg when I was in 10th grade. I broke it off. Like I broke my whole foot back. And the guy that did my surgery was Dr. John Thomas, who was LSU's orthopedic surgeon. And so ultimately him doing the surgery, his personality, which I thought he had a great like demeanor. He loved athletics, you know? And so I wanted to do something in the medical field that kept me in the athletic realm. So if I could, my, my thought at the beginning was, cause I was a good student in high school, you know, I, I made A's. So when I went to college, I was going to go to biology. And if I was doing, if I was doing really good, I was going to try to be an orthopedic surgeon. And if I struggled in school a little bit, I was going to try to be like a PT, you know? So I, my array was, um, was orthopedic surgeon was my like goal. And then if I, as somewhere from orthopedic to physical therapy to however I did in school, you know, I mean, I, I didn't know how I was going to do in college. So I don't think I could have been an orthopedic surgeon because I took some upper level biology classes because I stuck kind of in that field, but some of those upper level classes where I had like 12 people in my class, I was the extreme outlier <laughs> in those classes, you know? And so <laughs> they were making A's and I was struggling to make C's. Yeah, so you asked me I, before I was a history, I was a history major and I was, I had wanted nothing to do with that line. And in part, I took it because there was no, I didn't have to write a thesis to graduate. I was like, well, this is the easy way out. Well, look, my goal at the beginning changed very quickly. I mean, I think that, you know, playing for Coach Hogerson. So I played, I was underneath Wishbone in high school. So my high school coach, I mean, if we threw it, we we very seldom threw it 10 to 15 times. You know, I mean, it was just, right. we were going to run it. And so when I got to college, really, and I threw it pretty decent. I was a decent athlete. So we ran the option and I did whatever. And so when I got to college was my first time in the shotgun. And like, what what I really liked about, you know, Coach Hogerson at that time and and the offense was it was a cerebral approach to the game. You know, so the quarterback really, you know, it wasn't you call the play and I run the play and the and you I hand it and then whatever. It was more of a strategic cerebral approach to putting the ball in space. And I and I like that. And and that was the first time I'd ever seen that or I'd gotten the ability to do that. And so I learned pretty quickly that that um that that was what I wanted to do. I mean, Dana was a young coach at the time. I gravitated towards him. Um, I went home and I told my grandfather, who my grandfather was a pretty successful guy, and I told him that I was gonna, you know, coach football. And he said, "Well, you'll starve to death, son." <laughs> <laughs> that was the warm I got from uh, changing my deal from, "Hey, I'm gonna go to the medical field to coaching." And he was like, "Well." 
Not very smart. <laughs> yeah, my parents didn't tell me I was going to starve to death when I got into radio, but I did say I'm going to be living here a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no doubt. It's the same way. I mean, look, crazy to look back on, like, even those times with Coach Mummy, you know, I, you know, he, I lived for free. A, a guy had an a, apartment set up. I lived for free. I ate for free at this one place. I really didn't need much, you know. Was, I appreciated you know, it happens still to this day, probably not to the extent that it happened then, but just getting taken care of. I mean, it was always people that like those volunteer people that really weren't even on the payroll, you know, they got taken care of by the, the people. That were there. Yeah, the, the people. people. And so they kind of nudged you along, you know, yeah. and so you wouldn't, so you had something to eat, you know? Yeah. It was like uh, caveman uh, NIL basically back in the day. That's right. <laughs> You learn quickly what you need and don't need. You know, you don't need a whole lot. And no. so uh, now at this age, the wife will be like, what's for dinner? I'm like, I don't just pop me open a cold one. I'm going to watch TV and I'll probably just pass right. out and I'll wake up in the morning and do it all over again. And what, I'll tell you this too, before you go is, um, so when, when I worked with coach mummy at Southeast Louisiana, the D's talking about personalities, right? Because I mean, I loved when I was a young coach and, uh, you know, I loved all these personalities that you got to meet right that you kind of would look at from afar but then you got to meet them so coach mummy was obviously when I started working for him that was that was a guy that was like he was at the top of his game obviously failed at Kentucky but everybody knew him right well Woody Woodenhopper was our DC at Southeastern and I don't know if you that name didn't he Clemson he, at some point he was that so he was a DC at Pittsburgh he was the architect of like the steel curtain defense he had four Super Bowl rings he took on uh, the Missouri head job and he was a Vanderbilt head coach. Okay. And so he was a Vanderbilt head coach when coach mummy was at Kentucky, they would play against each other. And at that time in the sec, how would always have the number one offense in the sec and Woody would always have one of the top defenses. They would just communicate that, Hey, if either one of us, you know, move on or something happens, you know, we get fired. Bring me with you. Yeah. So they, you know, Coach Mummy took the Southeastern head job and then hired Woody with him, which those two guys together were, for the next three or four years, pretty interesting to be around. All right, Coach, I appreciate you doing this. I, 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 I Literally, could, we could probably do this for hours, but uh, I got Lance Gidry in the hole. Good deal, man. I'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it, brother. Have a good Thank, one. You, you too. Thank you, sir.